ready to go into the Word of God. We're going to be opening to the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. It is good to have the Banks family here today. It's good to see you guys. Matthew chapter 24. And if you know, Matthew 24 is a uh, chapter that is eschatological in nature. And so this is where we're about to pick up in verse 3 of chapter 24 of the book of Matthew. And this is what the Bible says in the NIV. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, if you'll remember, in the opening two verses, Jesus has just declared to his disciples, uh, he says, look around at you. Look around at all these buildings. Look at the temple. Look at everything. He said, there's not going to be a single stone left sitting on top of each other at this given time. You just watch. All this is going to be demolished. And that's where we pick up this question. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but this is pivotal. This statement is incredibly important for the believer. See to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Now that last phrase that I said is so pivotal, that's so important, in the King James Version, the old 1611 standardized, it says this, See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. I'd like to conclude tonight, or this morning, I'd like to conclude this series with the subject, Useful Idiots, not Useful Idiots not over the course of this series brothers and sisters we've discussed the original intent and meaning of the phrase useful idiot we've talked about the cluster B society we've discussed Marxism we've also talked about Judas Iscariot and the 30 pieces of silver in addition We've talked about Hamas. And last week we talked about gender dysphoria. And yet, (laughs) sad to say, I'm going to be honest with you, sad to say we haven't even scratched the surface of the challenges and the conflicts that we face in our nation and around the world. Haven't even scratched the surface. Time would absolutely escape me if I attempted to exhaust this subject. So, let's be honest. 
let's just bring this to a close. Next week we start my Christmas series. So let's just shut this down and not pick it up at the end of the first of next year, shall we? I think we all get the point. In our text, Jesus commences right here at, actually in verse 1, but in verses 3 and on, for sure, Jesus commences with a full two-chapter discourse concerning what He refers to as the end. Now, preceding the end, however, certain things must come to pass, according to verse 6 of our text. Now, those things, those things that must come to pass are not the focus of this concluding message of this series. We're not going to focus on those eschatological elements, those apocalyptic end time elements. However, what is the focus this morning are Jesus' words, see that you are not alarmed. Guys, I don't know how you feel from your Christian perspective, from your perspective of being a believer in Jesus Christ and all that goes on with that. But when you watch the news, whatever news you watch, when you read about stuff that's going on on the internet and stuff around the world, in our nation specifically, when you see these things unfolding right in front of your eyes, possibly interacting with them in first person, I don't know how you feel. But I know what Jesus told us and what Jesus said we should feel. How we're supposed to look at this time. Now, Am I proclaiming that this is the end? No. Because let's be honest, throughout world history, an awful lot of um, apocalyptic kind of people often refer to them as biblical events have occurred throughout history. We call them that because we think of the apocalypse. We think of the revelation of Jesus Christ and how the end of the world, let's be honest, that's not going to be a fun time. And so we look at these events, things that just seem to be so off their rocker, so beyond logic and wisdom and common sense, and it's going on. And we look at these things, and frank, quite frankly, if, if you're me, and everybody take a moment right now and just have a word of prayer and say, thank you, Lord, that I'm not Him. But if you're me, you look at this. You look at Washington. You look at the various uh, government entities around our nation and how they are so against America and all in the tra- and all the trappings that go along and it disturbs me it makes me sad for my country because here when I remember growing up and and I'm older than some of you and not as old as others of you but I remember 
not locking doors. I remember taking my bike miles from my mom and dad's house. I remember going and doing absolutely nothing but being a kid and not being afraid. Not worried about the White House and the U.S. Capitol. Not worrying about whether my state capital is trying to persuade my state to go absolutely stark raving nuts or not. And the oh, the list could go on for so long. We could go. We could linger here for so long. But I'm going to move. I remember this, and it disturbs me. It gives me feelings of grieving in my heart over my nation. But the Lord Himself, these things have to come to pass. And He says. See that you are not alarmed. See that you are not alarmed. The fact that Jesus said that to us in the Word of God when talking about the end, this is going to be the crux of the message this morning. This is what is going to be our focus. Why did Jesus say that? Why are we not to be alarmed? Because the things that we pause, if in fact it is going to be we and not another future generation, if in fact we see the things that we will witness things that we will experience, the things that we will have to endure will, in fact, they will be disturbing, yes? They will be disheartening. As a matter of fact, they will be such to the point where the Bible says it will be to the point that according to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 10, at that time many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Only two verses later in Matthew 24 and 12, Jesus goes on and says, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But, and this is where Jesus slams on the brakes a bit, but only two verses later in Matthew 24 and 14, Jesus says this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. So despite the fact that these things must come to pass, we, according to Jesus, commanded by Jesus, are to see to it that we are not alarmed. So we're supposed to view our world as in keeping with the plan of, and knowledge of God. Who's with me here this morning? Is everybody awake? Does anybody need a nap? Robert Reed needs a nap. 
Will someone please get a blanket and a pillow to Robert? Stat. We want him comfortable. I'll wake you up when we're over, done, bro, bro. Okay, I'll wake you up. I promise. Which, despite that all these things are going to happen, despite the fact that they have to come to pass, and that we're not to be alarmed. Which brings me to the point of the message, Romans chapter one, beginning in verse sixteen. The apostle Paul wrote these things. We're going to read right here, verses sixteen and seventeen. 17. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote. And these two verses are immensely powerful. They are immensely powerful. For I am not ashamed of the Gospel. That in and of itself, if you were to stop right there and say, okay, good, you're not ashamed, good for you. I have trouble with witnessing. or I, I'm not comfortable with talking about my faith with others. You're not ashamed, great. I have a little trouble with that. Well, listen to Paul's qualifier. Listen. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. That message of forgiveness through the cross of Jesus Christ, is the power of God that brings salvation to people. That's why He's not ashamed. Do you know what that means to you? That means you wield within your tongue and your vocabulary the very power of God to save the lost. Can you imagine? We watch movies, superhero movies. Oh, we want to have superpowers. Forget Marvel and DC. You possess the power of God in your voice to proclaim life to the lost and the dying. There is no power in existence like the power of God to transform dead and dying flesh into eternal children of God set aside for all eternity. There is no power like that. He says first, this applies first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Now listen to this statement. For in the Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. So in these two verses, we're seeing unpacked right in front of us, not only the power of God, but the righteousness of God. With our words... We expel. We, we just pour out the power of God with our words while blanketing the hearer 
with the righteousness of God. What does that mean? What does that mean? Just, just something He came up to make it. It is who He is in His character and His nature. That's If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've accepted Him as Lord and Savior, you have been the recipient of the power of God in your life to utterly change your eternal trajectory while simultaneously being transitioned from flesh and rotting bone to looking through the eyes of the divine resembling Him in righteousness. Did I just lose you all theologically? His righteousness is poured out on us at the moment of salvation. And we stand as though He is us and we are Him. We are children of God, adopted into the family of God because we are viewed from the throne's perspective as righteous as God. Oh, God Almighty, that's big stuff. That is massive theology. So simple. So simple. For the right, the gospel, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness, listen, that is by faith. From first to last, in the King James, from faith to faith. Just as, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. <laughs> My God in heaven. I, I got to admit, I'm from a Catholic background. That's where I came from. That's how I was raised. Probably the first third of my life I was a Catholic. And I don't have a problem with that. If they believe in Jesus, more power to them. If they believe in Jesus Christ, I don't care. But I'm going to be honest with you. I'm feeling that this is a little bit of a Catholic church today. Can someone run to the back and get me a robe and a clerical collar, please? I'm telling you. Guys, if you don't understand the theological implications of what we just read in Romans 1, 16 and 17, you're missing it. You don't understand yet. And you've got to get that into your heart. Because, oh man, I'm going back so far. We have beat ourselves and our fellow church members, not to mention the lost that are, have not even darkened the doors of the church to death. We beat them to death because we do not understand that what has happened to us has happened because He initiated, He implemented it, and He continues it in our lives. The Gospel is the power of God. What is the Gospel? I guess that's the question we have to ask. All men, because of the transgression made by the first couple 
in Genesis. We don't get three chapters into Genesis and we've already lost the game. Because of what the first couple did, the transgression brought by them, we're lost, we're undone, we're dying, we're just waiting to be converted back into compost and dust. And because of the transgression, we're waiting for that dust, that day, to be drugged into a black, dismal, horrifically tortuous eternity in the absence of God. That's, that, that's our condition. You know all those people you work with? All those people you run with that don't know what you know? That's them. But the good news, the gospel, the power of God to salvation is that God became man and dwelt among us. <laughs> the Word, John 1, became flesh, dwelt among us. And He lived here. And what did He do? He preached for 33 and a half years. He preached the Word of God saying, you know everything that you know? That's about to change! And then... This Messiah, everybody knows it, everybody sees it, goes and gets himself arrested, tortured, and murdered. And everybody's like, what? Because after all, Joseph, what good is a Savior if he's dead? What good? No good. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you the point of reference that people close to Jesus had. They equated Him the same way they equated Lazarus. Oh man, it's been three days. If you go in there to anoint that body, it stinks, man. That's what He said about Lazarus. That's what they said about Lazarus. The women went anyway. They went anyway because they had to do their thing. They had to anoint that body. He's dead. We've got to do the thing. We've got to go through the rites. We've got to go through the stuff because he's dead. He's not coming back. We loved him, but he's gone. Oh, wait a minute. What's wrong with this picture? There's no stone in front of the grave. Well, well who is that? Oh, it's an angel. What? And what's he say? Don't be afraid. You know, Jesus, the one you're looking for, the one you're going to anoint, He's not here. He's not here. And the good news is, you can't find Him in the Holy Land. You can't find Him. Why? Because He is seated on the right hand of majesty. That's where He is. That's the good news. And for everyone who believes... In the Gospel, the good news that He is not dead, He is alive. Everybody who believes that 
That's God's power. Oh, I wish you'd stand up and just do this. The power of God to salvation. That's the good news. Your lost family, your lost friends, your lost workmates, and all those lost people you will never meet if they will just believe. They will be saved because it's the power of God. And when they believe and redemption meets belief and becomes salvation, the righteousness of God, (laughs) the righteousness of God becomes revealed in the lives of these people. I'm sorry, but His righteousness is, re- is revealed in me. Guys, you know I'm as honest about myself with you as I know how to be. I am a world-class, grade-A, screw-up. I live with my humanity every minute of the day. You just ask my family. And they're over there going, oh yeah, they're really, yeah. Because it's the truth. I deal with the same things you deal with. Being a preacher changes nothing. Except for I'm obedient to him saying, I need you to go do this. I've okay. I've said it before, I'll say it again. You could have been the one asked to do this, told to do this job. You could have. It's a divine decision. It's not me. I lose my temper with the best of them. I've told you about my pastor friend, colleague, Dan Wormuth Jr. Pastors a great big church up in Joplin, Missouri. He says openly and for all to hear, if there's one thing that's going to cost me heaven, it's going to be traffic. I feel that pain, Joseph. I just want to—I want to roll my windows down and yell. If you can't drive as well as me, get off the road. And I'm a good driver. But his righteousness is embedded in me, because not because I have human issues. But it's because I believe in the Son. I embrace that gospel message. And He saved me. Because at the cross, He redeemed me. And at my point of belief, He saved me. My God, I'm so far off this message, I can't even imagine. How? We've got to look at the nuts and bolts here, the mechanics. How is the gospel the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes? Let's look at verses 1 through 4 of Romans chapter 1. Paul, this is his introduction to the church at Rome. A servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel, I love how he does this. I love how he does this. The gospel he promised beforehand through the prophets of the Holy Scriptures regarding His Son. 
That's the gospel. He just contextualized the whole thing. Who as to his... Now he's talking about the Son. He's going to give you Jesus' two lines of lineage right here. Who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. And who through the spirit of holiness... So here's... He's got an earthly descendant, David. He's got a heavenly descendant, the Spirit. Now listen to what the Spirit does here. And who through the Spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God. But not just appointed the Son of God. Appointed the Son of God in power. Well, how do you name someone something in power? In this case, the Son of God appointed by the Spirit of God in power, how will you prove that the person is what they say they are? And what did He do? How did He prove it? By His resurrection from the dead. That's how we know He is the Son of God because He was appointed and approved in power by virtue of His resurrection. Oh, that gospel of the Son that was talked about before. Oh, yeah, you mean God the Son. Yep, that's what we mean. That's exactly what we mean. How is the gospel? The power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel, the good news, is news regarding His Son. As I've just said, who was appointed the Son of God in power by His resurrection from the dead. The Gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes because Jesus is not dead. He is alive, Chip. He is alive. That's why it's the power of God unto salvation. He's alive. And He changes the lives of people who go from lost and undone, seated in darkness, to seeing a great light and coming to light for all eternity. That's why. It's the power of God. What does that mean for you and I? What does that mean for us? Well, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1. As for you, I guess that's pretty specific. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. How many of you lived in your transgressions and sins? The rest of you holy people who didn't live in transgressions and sins? Y'all need to go to this man over here on the aisle, the district bishop, and start applying for credentials because we all need your ministry. We all need what you got because the rest of us we're just poor folk, lost and undone without Jesus Christ. Amen? So you guys, go out and start ministries. Plant churches. He is desperate for you. Okay? We need churches planted. Amen? Yes, we do. 
I forgot where I am. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world, and I'm going to insert something here, when you followed the ways of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Throughout this entire series, we've been talking about how useful idiots are people who unknowingly, unwittingly are deceived into believing something that is a lie, but thinking it's the truth. And we were dead in our transgressions and sins, and we followed the ways of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and like Marx and like Lenin, they didn't give a, he doesn't give a flip about those who are lost. He just wants to get back at God. When you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air and spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. In other words... We were useful idiots following the ruler of the kingdom of the air, dead in our transgressions and sins, following the ways of the world, being disobedient, gratifying our fleshly cravings, desires, and thoughts, ultimately deserving the wrath of God. That's where we all were. Paul says it. And such were some of you. Elsewhere in the Pauline epistles. That's where we were. However, verse 4 through 10, Ephesians 2, continuing on from what we just read. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich... Anybody here rich? I mean rich. I'm talking about your bank account. Looks like ballpark francs. Plumps when you cook them. Looks like Jiffy Pop popcorn. Just Anybody here rich? Well, guess what? When we think of people that are rich, we think of people who are in a completely different income tax bracket than we are. And we go, man, if I just had some of that kind of money. Well, let me tell you something. This isn't money. This is better because God is rich in mercy toward us. He made us alive with Christ even when we were even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace, not your works. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed 
in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For, and He repeats Himself, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. He created us. And I don't mean out of dirt. I mean out of Christ's blood. He created us in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are no longer useful idiots. Brothers and sisters, we are no longer useful idiots. We are the children of God. 1 John chapter 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. John chapter 1. Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Galatians chapter 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. So despite the fact that these things must come to pass, the things like what we're seeing in our country right now and around the world, we are to see to it that we are not alarmed because Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. My God in heaven, stand with me this morning. I'm telling you right now, we are not useful idiots. We're the children of God. And within our tongue, within our tongue, we have the power of God unto salvation. The capacity to, to dispense the righteousness of God to those who would believe just by telling them the gospel. Jesus, this is our this is our commission. This is what he said. This is what he said. I just lost my glasses. glasses so I can read. I can see it. We're almost there, kids. Listen. He said to them, y'all know this. Go into all the world. Preach the convictions of the believer. 
Go into all the world. Preach your church doctrine. Go into all the world and preach your spiritual preferences. Go into all the world and make sure those people who are lost feel really lost and unloved. That's what he said, right? Oh, he didn't say that? What did he say for us to preach as the church? Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. We have got to get it through our heads that if we will just introduce them to Him, He will do the changing. We've got to get that into our heads. How many of you have been changed? How many of you can look back at your life and go, Wow! Did I ever stink? Man, was I bad! I can. I can. I can look back, man. And I can see it. But you know what? I didn't get saved because someone thrashed me with their church, churchianity, and their personal convictions, and their own traditions. That's not how I got saved. Someone told me, Jesus loves you, He died for you, He rose again, and He's at the, at the door of your heart, like Revelation 3, knocking and saying, if you'll just open, I'll come in. And that's what got me saved. And then lo and behold, Frank, lo and behold, I stopped drinking, stopped smoking dope, I stopped, stopped playing rock music in bands really badly, I might say. I stopped carousing, that's a polite way. I stopped doing all that stuff, not because some Christian said, look you moron, Jesus isn't happy with you. That's not it. They come up, I'm a sweaty mess, right? Hug somebody right now. They come up and they love me. They showed me Jesus. And Jesus started working on me as I heard the Word of God. We've got to get that into our internals. It's got to be what we are. We've got to. Is there anyone here today that does not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because if you don't know Him, He is knocking at your door. He wants you in His eternity with Him. Because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The power of God unto salvation. Anybody today? Anybody here? No? Father, we love You. We bless Your name. We exalt You. We give You praise, honor, and glory. And at this time, I need my elders to come forward. I need all my elders, my pastoral staff to come forward.